Well, as my interim pastorate winds down, there's a few things I want to leave with you. Not that I won't be back, of course, I will, and we'll get back to Genesis, Lord willing. But there's some things I want to leave with, with us as a church as we move forward. And uh, I love the story in, in Luke 7 that I'm going to read it in a minute because it, it just reveals so much about Jesus. And it's a, it's a great story. It reveals a lot about the gospel. So I want to read that and share with you a bit about it this morning from Luke 7, picking up at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, Well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus. There is no Savior but Him. Who is this who forgives sins? It's only Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, slain for sinners, bearing in His own body your wrath, dying for sin, being buried in a tomb and rising on the third day in accordance with the prophets that he might give even us eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, whoever, how great a sinner we might be, whoever believes might have everlasting life. Lord, we praise You for this good news for our hearts and for the hearts of all the world. Amen. Beloved, grace is scandalous because Jesus is scandalous. He was crucified by the Jews for that very reason. Because he came and he upset the very fabric of first century Jewish culture by doing, in their eyes, everything wrong. And Luke shares with us here that I just read a story of, of an example of that. A dinner involving, along with Jesus, two different people. Two people who both interact with Him. One with words and thoughts, one with actions. Two very different people. The first, of course, is this devout, upright, law-keeping Pharisee named Simon. And the second, a notorious sinner. This woman with a scandalous reputation, a woman probably rejected by her family and friends and even her community. Two very different people, both seeking the presence of Jesus at the same time, in the same place, at this dinner. Now this is going to be a very interesting dinner. Well, okay, to be fair, not many Pharisees reached out to Jesus with any measure of interest or hospitality. Not many invited him into their home. And he knew, Simon did, Jesus' reputation as a teacher and a prophet. And he knew that he was already honored among uh, many people. And so maybe he wanted to, you know, hear more for himself, personally, from this man in his own home. Perhaps he was curious, you know. I hear what people are saying. I hear the rumors. I hear the discussion. But I want to hear for myself. Or maybe this was actually a setup, as the Pharisees often tried to set him up for a fall. We don't know. Maybe he was hoping for a controversy. And then... Verse 37, and behold, behold, pay attention, look at what's going on, oh my, a woman of the city, a sinner, shows up, a woman of great scandal and bad reputation. Exactly what her lifestyle was, we can only speculate. But probably she was either some kind of serial adulterer or even maybe more likely a prostitute. She was a woman of the city, a sinner. 
And so why, why would this woman show up here at this time in the home of this righteous holy man who had invited another righteous holy man to have this nice sacred meal? Why would she show up here of all places? How dare she intrude upon this dinner? It was bold. It was daring. Yes, it was even shameless to show up at this meal. But she came because who was at that meal? Jesus. Because Jesus was there. And it's apparent that she had already heard the good news from Jesus. And she had believed in her heart. And she was saved. And so when she came into Simon's house as an uninvited guest, as an unwelcome guest, with all of her shame, so to speak, she did so to express her deep gratitude to Jesus. She came to worship Him as her God and Redeemer. For He had delivered even her from the wages of her sin, from shame, from death, from condemnation. He had delivered her, and her tears were the waters of gratitude flowing from the spring of her faith and love. Now, houses back in those days weren't like our houses. We are careful to have our doors shut and, and locked and secure and probably our alarms set. But houses back then weren't like that. They were more open and perhaps this particular meal was served in a veranda or some portion of the house which would be open to the cooling breezes. They, of course, didn't have air conditioning back then and they wanted to have some sense of cooling coming through. But regardless, it wasn't entirely uncommon for strangers to, to come up and, and, you know, show up at meals and even participate in the conversation. But what was so unexpected was for this woman, for such a woman, this notorious, scandalous sinner to show up at this meal, the meal of a holy man of God, and receive no rebuke for her presumption, not even for touching Jesus. I mean, where was his righteous indignation? Why did he not send her away? Scandalous! Everything right and acceptable was being turned upside down. Well, maybe it wasn't culturally acceptable or pleasing to Simon and to his guests, but she wasn't about to be denied. She just wasn't flat out concerned about Simon's critical attitude or about the shame of her past lifestyle. She wasn't concerned about what the gossip mills would be saying the next day or for the next weeks. Didn't care. She didn't care about anything except displaying her 
love and gratitude to Jesus who had saved her. She was determined. So what was really so shocking is not that she came and came uninvited. What was so shocking, really, was that she was the only sinner who came. The only sinner who came. Was not that place full of other sinners and full of so-called righteous people? Where were they? Jesus was in town. Jesus, the Word made flesh. The one full of grace and truth was dining in a local home. Think of him right here in Dallas. Maybe right in your subdivision, right next door. The one sent by God to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. The one wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities so sin could be forgiven. Jesus is here in our subdivision. Why were the other jars of perfume left on the shelves, unopened, still there, not also poured out upon the feet of Jesus? Why were the other tears kept within the eyes and not shed out of gratitude? Where were all the other sinners? See, this woman had come to understand this incredible love that we... We should be called children of God because of Jesus. And out of this overflowing gratitude and love, she came to anoint him, his dirty feet, with perfume, but really to offer him her life as it was. Her life, her heart her all. And when she came, I can kind of sort of get the video running in my own mind. And she, she saw Jesus, this one who saved him. And being in his presence, maybe she, she undoubtedly heard him from some distance and hadn't been within probably a hundred yards or, or more of him, I don't know. But there, you know, there they were together in the same room, and she was suddenly overcome by emotion, and she begins weeping openly, shamelessly, her tears pouring down upon the feet of Jesus, mixing in with his perfume that she had applied to his feet. And she, she thought of her past sins, her lifestyle, her horrible choices. Her once hard heart toward God and, and maybe even toward Jesus. Maybe the fact that she had once failed to hear Him. And then she thought of God's acceptance and forgiveness and the hope she had now and the love that she knew in that acceptance and forgiveness. And her eyes were like that burst dam just flowing down upon his feet and her heart was filled with inexpressible joy and her, her tears were like a song of praise and thanksgiving as if they were saying bless the Lord O my soul 
and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Do you see that video rolling in your mind? And there is Simon. And it was just too much for Simon, the Pharisee. After all, well, he hadn't lived that way. He hadn't made the choices she had made. He was a respectable man. He was a Pharisee. He kept God's law. He had not sinned in such despicable ways. I mean, who was this woman to come into his house and disturb his meal and conversation? How dare she? She, come in here. Come on. And why was Jesus, this rabbi, why was Jesus allowing her to, to touch his feet? I mean, didn't he know what she had done? I mean, what an embarrassment. And in his heart, you see, Simon didn't just despise the woman. He despised Jesus, too. That he would accept such a person. Because righteous people, you see, they don't, they don't associate with such disgusting sinners. And Simon certainly wouldn't allow himself to, to be touched by a, a woman who had done such awful things. And he says to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, well, he would have known what sort of woman this is and what she has done. Clearly, he must be no better than she is, allowing himself to be touched by her. He's no righteous man. See, Simon failed to understand that Jesus comes near sinners and allows sinners to come near him, not to become like sinners, but that sinners might become like him. The gospel is never, beloved, the gospel is never degraded by its contact with sinners. Rather, sinners are lifted up and made holy by the gospel and by their union with Jesus Christ. And sinners like this woman, being so overwhelmed by God's undeserved grace, are moved to this full, self-denying, shameless love for God. There's just nothing held back. And then there's Simon. Again, think about it. Jesus, the Savior of sinners, is in His very home, sitting or, or reclining at His table. And yet, Simon refuses the gift because he's ignorant of his sin and of his need. His good life, his righteousness, his choices, his uprightness has convinced him he doesn't need to be forgiven. He's kept the law. He's a Pharisee. He doesn't need a Savior. 
Let's be honest, can we? Isn't it easier for us to be more like Simon than like the woman? Because of our stubborn human pride and assumed righteousness, we perhaps begin to argue for our own uprightness, our moral superiority, start boasting about our choices, our lifestyle. We haven't done that nasty thing. We haven't engaged in that behavior. We're not that kind of person. See, if our relationship is all of Christ, and it is, and all of grace, there's no room for boasting because we have no works. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Faith only exists, dear ones, when self is nothing and Christ is all. It's all of grace or it's nothing of grace. And so Jesus tells this parable about two men in debt, neither of which could repay the debt, but one owed ten times what the other owed. And the lender graciously forgave both debts. I'm glad Daniel's hearing this. You know, the lender forgave both debts. In case anyone's, you know. Anyway, I like to pick on Daniel. It's just payback. But I can do it from the pulpit. I love him. But anyway, uh, so neither could uh, repay the debt, but the lender graciously forgave. And so Jesus said, which of them will love him more? And Simon's answer is kind of half-hearted, isn't it? Maybe he suspects he's being set up, or, or maybe he thinks, what a silly question. Come on, let's have a serious discussion. What kind of a nonsense is this? Why bother me with, with such a story? And so he says, well, you know, the one I suppose that owed him more, right? Uh, whatever. And Jesus says, well, yeah, you're right, exactly right. And then he shows Simon the implication of his answer. And he turns toward the woman for the first time, but addresses Simon. And he says, Simon, do you, you, you see this woman behind me at my feet? Which is kind of hilarious, all right, because Simon's been thinking about this woman for the past number of minutes, right, and how scandalous this whole thing is and how despicable it is and and Jesus said, well, have you noticed this woman behind me? And he's kind of wondering why Jesus hadn't noticed this woman and hadn't sent her packing. And then he contrasts Simon's inhospitable behavior with her manifest adoration and love. And says, verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. That's the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace. Now, he doesn't deny that she had sinned greatly. He, he understands that. He doesn't diminish her offense. But you see, it's because of what he would do. 
Because he would bear the wrath that she deserved for her sins. He would bear it because of what he would do. Her many, many, many sins would be forgiven and washed white. So who are the two debtors? Clearly Simon and the woman, each from his or her own perspective. Oh, the woman knew that she had a debt. She knew that she had sinned greatly. She could not forget those past years, maybe decades, I don't know how long. It bore upon her. She knew of her debt. But Simon thought maybe he just had a few sins and, and, and small ones at that, you know, just this little debt. And Jesus is saying, don't you see in her abundant love a woman who's had a great debt forgiven? Don't you see that he's like that man who had that massive debt just erased off the books by the lender? And don't you see in your lack of love and your hardness of heart, your self-righteousness, your arrogance, a man who has been forgiven little? I mean, sure, yeah, one man owed more than the other, sure. But both were debtors. Both were debtors, and neither could repay. They didn't have resources. They couldn't repay the debt. Both were in trouble. Both were bankrupt right it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire if you if you make a million dollars a year but if you're 10 million dollars in debt you're bankrupt but simon didn't recognize himself as a debtor and so he never sought forgiveness it was his proud heart his self-righteousness his clinging to the fact that he really was a good guy and hadn't done much that kept him from God. It's an irony that most people do not understand. Maybe some of you, I don't know. But it's not sin that keeps you from God. It's not your sin that keeps you from God. It's your righteousness. Jesus said, I didn't I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. I came to give my life as a ransom for sinners. That's the offense of the gospel. The fact that it was the sinner who knew God, not the religious man. Paul wrote, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned, Simon and the woman, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's consider three practical lessons drawn from this story, the parable and the story of this meal. First, no one seeks 
the Lord who is ignorant of the greatness of his or her sin and offense against God. It's absolutely tragic that the modern church preaches a feel-good message, a message of self-improvement and self-esteem and how to become a better you, and et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, a large crowd may gather, many people listening, but many will be like those who sought Jesus just for the bread they had received from him. And if they ever heard the word of God, they'd walk away because it's offensive. It's scandalous. They're not interested. People who don't think they are sinners will not seek a Savior. When's the last time you went to a doctor when you thought you were perfectly healthy? When's the last time you raced to the emergency room when you believe there was absolutely nothing wrong with you and everything is just wonderfully healthy. You don't do it, right? No one seeks a Savior unless that person is aware that I am broken. I am in desperate need. I am dead in transgressions and sins. Faith does not exist apart from the knowledge of one's sin and desperate condition. It's only that broken and contrite heart that seeks forgiveness. So let the Word of God be for you a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, making bare to your own eyes the shame and desperateness of your own sinful condition. And let it drive you not to shame, but to Christ for forgiveness, because He will cover your sin with His love and with His own righteous garments. And He will embrace you, and He will love you, and He will accept you, and He will say, your sins are forgiven. No more wonderful words could be heard in this world. And not just a few sins, all sins. And not just certain sinners, all sinners. All sinners, all are washed clean. All are accepted in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why this woman has such boldness to, to come into this home and to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's why she could be shameless because Jesus had taken away her shame. Jesus had forgiven her sin. And she was reconciled. And this was her God. He was her Lord, she was his daughter. He came to seek and to say that which was lost. No one will pursue the Lord who does not know the desperateness of his or her condition. Secondly, love for God will only flourish when you know that condition and when you know your sins are forgiven. John Calvin and his institutes said this, no one gives himself freely and willingly to God's service unless having tasted his fatherly love, in the gospel he means, he is drawn to love and worship him 
and we return and in return we only love in response to knowing that he first loved us who loved what recurt his enemies scandalous people and yet loved by God and by Jesus and so in his word God shows you both your sin and his forgiveness his judgment and his love why that you might give your that you might knowing these things give yourself in free abandon and service and love without a reservation a love that's never lukewarm but just as it were throws oneself at Jesus in free abandon See, when you know the magnitude of your sin and that it's forgiven through Jesus Christ, your love abounds. Your love abounds. I love that line we sang a week or two ago by Charles Wesley. And I love the exclamation, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me, a scandalous sinner, that I should be forgiven. And that love will be evident to others, even if they despise you for it. In fact, grace is not grace unless it's scandalous. So how much do you love Jesus? How much do you love Jesus? And thirdly and finally, as Jesus loves sinners and shows great compassion to sinners, so must the church. This woman was a great sinner, but she was forgiven and she was welcomed by Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But what about you and me? What about you and me? In our middle-class homes and subdivisions and lifestyles and church, are you more like Jesus in how you treat your fellow sinners with compassion and mercy? Or more like the Pharisee, rather harsh and critical and judgmental? and sneering and unmerciful. Just say, hypothetically, Dallas has some scandalous sinner who was recently in the papers for doing something, and that person came here on a Sunday morning. That sin known to all of Paulding County in Cobb County, too. And yeah, maybe even got to Carroll County. How would we treat that person who walked in those doors right back there? Sadly, too often, Christians are like the Pharisee. I haven't done those things. I haven't behaved in those ways. Yeah, that's what the Pharisee said. 
And as Simon despised the woman, too often we despise sinners, adulterers, homosexuals, transgenders, people that have had an abortion. Shouldn't the church show Christ's compassion to sinners? Aren't we to imitate Jesus and not the Pharisee? Aren't we to love as we have been loved? Do you know the magnitude of your sin and my sin? Do you remember? Do you know even now your stubborn heart? Mercy received begets mercy given. See, once your heart has been softened by the gracious, unmerited love of God, it really can't be hard toward other sinners, can it? You will love others if you have been loved. So do you know your debt before God? It's so large that you can never repay it. And then do you know that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain for sinners? That the wages of sin is death? As we heard this morning, the wages of sin equals death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Why? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Come to Jesus, desperate, scandalous sinner. He won't turn you away. He won't cast you out. Come, though, with repentance and come with tears and your shame. But come, Jesus has enough mercy. Yes, even for you and even for me, if you can believe it. And so he asks, the, or rather the crowd asked, who is this who even forgives sins? Yes, this is Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. This is the one who came that scandalous sinners like you and me can be forgiven and set free. And so it's the sinner who's the true child of God and the true offspring of Abraham, not the righteous man. And now go. Go to other sinners and share this good news as we are taught this morning. Go and share the news that they can also be forgiven no matter what sin they've committed. They also can be children of the living God. It's really, really good news. Amen? Lord, we receive this good news, and we probably have many times, but we receive it afresh because it's for us, scandalous sinners, desperate people who have offended you in ways we, we don't even know, and yet forgiven because of Christ. It's all of grace, all of Christ. And let us, as the apostles did, turn our world upside down by preaching the scandal of grace, the scandal of sin forgiven, the scandal of one who came for sinners. 
that our church and our communities and our county and surrounding counties and indeed the world might hear about the fame of this one that many might be saved that we might be faithful and live boldly for such a savior and shamelessly in Jesus name amen